Um, what is your favorite comeback story? What's your favorite comeback story? Maybe it's a sports team that you know you follow, and it's, it was just that moment where they were like three down in playoffs, and then they come back and they win like four games, and they win that playoff. You know, maybe it was that. Maybe it's like um, you know a political candidate that was so down in the dumps, and then somehow kind of came back and and won. Um, maybe it's like a physical kind of comeback story where someone you know their health was really really down, and then just you know you've just seen them have this resurgence back to health. How many of you guys have like a comeback story that's, that's a little bit of a favorite to you? A story that's always inspired me. Now, it's not really up there in the importance level in terms of real life, but a story that's, that's always inspired me, and maybe, maybe you remember, that, remember this, but it's the whole Rocky Balboa stories. Who, who's like... Now, if you're younger and you have no clue who Rocky is, he's actually on the like the new movie Creed. So that's like the, that's a, that's another comeback story. Whereas like the seventh movie, when is that going to stop, right? But um, Rocky has this this the story behind it is kind of interesting, and there is some some uh, not some truth to it, but you know just some instances that that inspired Sylvester Stallone to write this. But the Rocky is the story of a boxer who grew up, I think, in Philly, and um, you know just he becomes this national boxing champ, and every movie that he's in, it seems to be that he's like down, like he hits a bottom level, and not just in the ring, but even in life, and sometimes in relationships. But then something happens that he. He just, he comes back up, both in life and also in the ring, and there's this comeback moment that takes place in all of these movies. One of my favorite movies was Rocky IV, where uh, Rocky travels to, to Russia and uh, is in a boxing match with this Russian champion named Drago, and some of the best training scenes of Rocky movies, I think, takes place in Rocky IV, because Drago, if you know the story, he's like, he's just funded millions of dollars um, to, millions of dollars to trade. But Rocky trains like in the forest, in the woods, in a cabin, uh, you know, using rocks, using wood, all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's, it's a really fascinating kind of inspiring type of thing. But that's one of my favorites. I don't think I could do that. Uh, I think that would, I don't know if the guy, I wouldn't trust the guy holding me on top. Um, <laughs> but in this movie, Rocky goes down like he's 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 depleted emotionally but he also goes down early on in the fight. But he slowly, slowly makes his way. There's one moment where, um, there's a moment in the, in the match where just things start to shift. And then Rocky starts to build himself up again. And he keeps fighting and fighting and fighting. And he wins. And it's, I think stories like this just make us think about what a comeback looks like. I don't know, I think we all love comeback stories because they inspire us, they challenge us, they excite us, they give us hope. Maybe it's because in, in some way, there's a part of our life um, that we feel isn't where it should be or isn't where it could be. And so part of us maybe feels like, I need a comeback in this area of my life. I, I, need, I need to be in a different place, not where I am now. And maybe I think most of us, including myself, have hit moments in our life where we feel like completely wiped out. Or maybe there's a part of our lives where we feel like this is just completely down or it feels like the carpet's been ripped from underneath us. And maybe it's losing a loved one or maybe it's a relationship uh, breakdown. Maybe it's a financial crisis or a, a loss of job. But there's something about comeback moments that remind us or maybe even inspire us and make us think about what are these pockets in our lives where we would love to see a resurgence back 
or even a resurgence forward. There's a guy by the name of Louis Gilio. Uh, he's he's um, you know popular speaker preacher in terms of some Christian events. A few months back, I heard an interview with Louis Gilio, and, and um, he started this, or at least was part of the start of this movement called Passion. Passion's a, a huge movement in the U.S. and and I think in some ways through their music across the world. But several two decades ago, or more, uh, he felt this call him and his wife, to leave the town where they were and to move into another town and start ministering to college-age students. He just felt this call to love and care for and see college-age students come to faith. And so he moved to this new town, completely fresh to him. He starts his Bible study and uh, starts to help students come to know who Christ is, discover the scriptures. 10, 20 students come, 40, 50 students come, 100 students come, over 100 students Hundreds and hundreds of students start to come, and this thing just starts to grow. And college students start to discover faith and discover who God is and, and, and start to come to a sense of, of who they are when they, when they meet Christ. And years later, tens of thousands of college students, I think up to 40,000 college students every year meet for a conference called Passion where they worship, they celebrate, they learn, they grow, they get involved in mission, they serve, they sacrifice uh, with their giving and their resources. And from this small Um, Bible study two decades ago, close to 40,000 college students gather every year. I mean, I think that's pretty phenomenal. That's, that's, that's movement. And Louis Gilio was at the helm of that. I mean, it was God who, who did all this, but he was part of that. And a few years ago, I heard this interview uh, just last fall and Louis woke up one morning completely depleted, completely feeling sense of fear, hopelessness, and there was no physical reason for it. He went to see doctors, and doctors says, there's no physical reason we can track as to why you feel this way. He was, he was experiencing a complete burnout. Doctors use words like, you're possibly going through a nervous breakdown, uh, a deep depression, and he didn't know how to handle it. Every night, he would wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and he, would, he could not sleep for an hour or two. And he woke up at 2 o'clock, and all he felt was complete darkness. He felt complete hopelessness, fear, restlessness. And this routine, every night at 2 a.m., he just, it just continued. He would wake up and feel kind of the dark hole that he was in. It lasted for three months. Until one of those 2 a.m. moments, he just felt like, how am I going to get out of this? He had this, this inner cry to God in that moment. And, and uh, Louis Gilio is, is also, has also helped uh, produce um, worship music and help um, certain worship leaders uh, serve and, and grow in certain ways. And he was crying out to God in that moment. He remembered this verse that God placed in his heart. It's from Job chapter 3510, where it says, Where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? And that one verse just came to him, that God gives songs in the night. And he asked God in that moment, he just cried out to God, he says, God, can you please give me a song? Now, if you know anything about this guy, he's produced hundreds of worship songs. He's, he's helped um, you know, tens or even maybe over a hundred worship leaders grow and, and, and serve the church globally, internationally. He could have easily picked from one of those songs, but he is saying, Lord, I need you to do something fresh in my heart tonight. I need you to do, I need you to give me a song. 
And in that evening, three months later, as he's struggling with this, he just, he heard this simple melody and this simple phrase and this simple short little song that he started to sing in that moment. Now, he did that, he fell asleep, he woke up the next morning, nothing changed. Two o'clock comes around, he remembers that simple song, he sings it, he's praying it, falls asleep, wakes up the next morning, nothing's changed. But slowly, night after night, as he takes this simple song that God had given him and begins to sing it and pray it, it starts to open up this new path in his heart. And slowly, slowly, week by week, and within an amount of time, he slowly comes back. He writes this in a book actually called Comeback. And when I heard that interview, when I heard what he went through, something in me that day just said, you got to speak about making a comeback at Easter. And I don't know why. I don't know if there's someone in the room or people in the room today or some of us that just feel like, oh my goodness, I need some type of a comeback and I don't know how to see this through. And, and, and as I thought about that, I thought, I got to share this at Easter. And it made me realize Easter is the ultimate comeback story. Easter is the ultimate comeback story. Just two days ago, we reflected on Good Friday. We, we paused and slowly, reflectively walked through what it mean, meant for Jesus to die. He died on a cross. We reflected on the death of Christ, the moment God's son, son hung on a cross and then put in the grave. We talked on Friday night how Jesus predicted that he would suffer. And his disciples weren't fully understanding what that all meant. But then it came to the point where Jesus actually died. Interesting thing is, he also predicted what would come afterwards. And he predicted that something would take place, not only his death. And it's found early on in John's gospel. And I love this little moment. It's in, it's in John chapter 2, verse 19. And we're going to read it in a moment. But here's this scenario. Just picture this scenario. Probably a week or two or three before Jesus heads to the cross. He's in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, and and he's, he's in there. And what's happening is there's money changers in there. And they're selling uh, animals for sacrifice. And they're overcharging some people. And there's stuff that's going on inside the temple that is not what the temple was fully meant for. There was dishonesty happening and other things going on. And so Jesus comes in and he's angry and he literally clears out the temple. Clears out the temple. He, he clears out the animals. He clears out the money changers. He's mad as he clears everybody out because they're turning this into a dishonest market. It wasn't the fact that they were exchanging these things, but how all this was going on. And the Jews in the moment asked Jesus, who has given you the authority to do this? Like, who, who are you to come in and do this? And Jesus replies with these words. John chapter 2, verse 19. Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Now, I mean, just think, think about this for a second. These people are like shocked. Okay, buddy, what are you talking about? Like, how, how is this... Possible. I know that maybe some people consider you a rabbi and you, you teach with authority and you just came and you know cleared this place out and you have some disciples, but let's just be realistic. It took it's taken 46 years to build this temple. 46 years to build this temple. What are you talking about destroying it and seeing it come back in three days? 46 years is a long time. That's like Montreal style construction. <laughs> right? 
it's true. I, it, do you, do you, can we figure out why certain things take less time to build in other places? I don't get it. Anyways, it's like the Turk God, right? It's going to be done in 2016, maybe 2018, possibly 2020. And then it's like you just read announcements like, just don't go on Highway 20 for a decade, right? Um, and that just kind of happens. Maybe it was that way. But I think, to their credit, they didn't have the technology we do. It took them 46 years to build this temple. And Jesus comes in and he says, you destroy this temple. In three days, I'll raise it up. It's impossible. But Jesus wasn't talking about the physical temple. He was talking about his body as the temple. He was talking about himself suffering, dying. Now imagine his disciples listening to this. They know that suffering is coming, but they're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? How is this even possible? What does all this mean? How can you, how can this happen? How can, how can, well, one, like, are you talking about the temple, your body? What, and imagine this the moment that they're, what they're going through. And Jesus eventually does die. His physical temple is destroyed. The prediction actually came true. He died. He suffered. But the next prediction seems unrealistic. Because it's Friday. And Jesus just died. And they've buried him in a tomb. And his disciples and friends and family are figuring this is it. And and. I don't know about you, but the day after a funeral is often one of the worst because then you realize this is serious, this is real. So what Saturday feels like as they're reflecting, Jesus is gone. It's over. Everything we've put our hopes in, this is just not going to work. Saturday must have been even darker than Friday. And as they're reflecting on that and wondering, that's it. But the scriptures tell us that Jesus said something would happen. Now, I could read that and walk through the scriptures. I want you to look at the screen. And uh, some guys put a, a video together of what that might have been look, what that might have looked like. So take a look at the screen as we get a sense of that. Peter, stop. We'll get the guys to help with the search, and then we'll divide up, all right? We'll have Andrew take the north. Bartholomew will take the bottom. Peter, stop. Look, I'm just as confused about this as you are. Someone stole him. That's the only logical explanation, John. Wait, 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 okay? Look, what we witnessed today. The guards, they took him. We have to move swiftly. We have to rebury the body properly. Peter, stop! Okay. We need to go tell the others. Tell them what? What we saw. We saw nothing. Exactly. John, do you not understand that they are trying to stop us? That's why Jesus kept waking us up to pray. That's why they got to Judas. That's why... That's why they arrested Jesus. Just the other day, I was looking at him. I was looking him in the eye and I, and I told him that I loved him and that I would follow him to the ends of the earth. He was supposed to be our king. He is the king. When we were in the tomb, I remember something Jesus said. The linens were just lying there. That they, they were just lying there. No, no. Think bigger. Look, all of this, all of it, was supposed to be preparing us for this moment, for that empty tomb. We just couldn't see it. Couldn't see what? Okay. 
when Mary came back and said that the tomb was empty and that the angel of the Lord was there, that's when it started to come back. John, enough. We can reminisce about this later. Jesus is missing. We have to go find him. He's not missing. That's the point. Look, he was trying to tell us about this. Jesus was preparing us for this. He's risen. Peter, he's a different kind of king, and he always was. Peter, do you remember that night Jesus asked us who we thought he was? When he called me Satan? Yeah. Yeah, I called him... Lord of all, Peter. We just didn't understand. But he's gone. No. He's risen. He did it. 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 Peter, he's risen. He's risen. He's risen. He's risen. He did it. Do you hear that world? He's risen. He's risen! He's risen! Oh, I love that. That's awesome. You know, John writes back, he puts this little comment in John 2 after Jesus predicts that he would rise again. He says in verse 22, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. After he rose from the dead, they remembered what Jesus said. They remembered the prediction. They remembered that though the temple would be destroyed, it would be risen back. I love this. What does this mean for us as we kind of wrap our minds around it? And we don't have time to walk through how did the resurrection happen, all this kind of stuff. We could point you to resources around that or ways to help you get a hold of that if you're, if you're thinking through that. But think about this. Two things. One, Jesus came back. Yes, he died. Yes, he was buried. But the scriptures tell us and history works around it and shows us that Jesus came back. In fact, this means that the authority he exhibited in the temple, when they're like, whose authority do you have to even say this, to do this? What are you talking about? It shows he had the authority. It was real. The words he said, the promises he made, the reason to actually believe that he was and is God's son, Israel's Messiah, the savior of the world, all comes together in this moment because Jesus came back. Jesus rose from the grave. So when Jesus says, die to yourself so you might truly live, he can vouch for it. When Jesus says something like, give up your idea of what kind of life you think is the best life, follow me and I'll show you what abundant life is, he shows that. We can trust him when he invites us into that. When he says, I took on your sin, I took on your pain, I took on your worst failure and destroyed it at the cross, in the grave, He rose and proved it. Proved it. When he says, I've come to lead you in both this life and into eternity, his his resurrection body says, you can trust him. You can trust him when he says that because he rose from the grave. 
So Jesus came back. But I think for us today, what I want us to just grab a hold of for this brief moment is this. You can also come back. You can also come back. You have a comeback. I'm not sure what you're going through or what you're walking through or what you're thinking about in terms of like, what can God really do in my life? How can he really work in my life? I believe the beauty and power of the resurrection. And it means so much more than what we're talking about today. But just for this brief moment, think about this. You can have a comeback. One follower of Christ, a leader of the early church named Paul, who, who had this transformational conversion to Christ, and, and, uh, and he says years later, after Jesus' resurrection, he said these words to this, this early church in Rome. Right in the middle, this church is growing up in the middle of the Roman Empire. He says these words to them. He helps them understand who they are, what they're about, understanding what God is doing in their lives. And he says these words, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. He says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. That is this promise. Here's what one author says, Rodney Clapp. He says, when the powers of this world were overrun by their darkest impulses and crucified Jesus, it was by the strength and life of Jesus or life of the spirit that Jesus was raised from the dead. In other words, God's very own spirit, presence, power, raised Jesus from the dead. But here's this piece. And we'll just go back to that verse. Just just look at what it says. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, That's just, that's crazy. That's incredible. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you. Now imagine this. The same power, the same presence that raised Christ from the dead is available to you and me. That's this promise that we read from in the scriptures that when someone puts their their trust in Christ, when someone comes to put their trust in Christ, believe in him as Lord, turning to him, the scriptures promise that God's very own spirit dwells in them. That God comes to live in you or in me as we put our trust in Christ. If if, If you're already trusting in Christ, God's very own spirit, that kind of power and presence dwells in you. And, and when someone puts their, crust, their trust in Christ, that promise is continued, revealed in them. It's God's very own spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. So what's the implication here? The implication is a comeback is possible. I mean, if God's very own spirit lives in you or in me or the possibility of his spirit living in us, that means that comeback for you or for me is possible. That means that God can guide you and encourage you and lead you and strengthen you. God can also correct you and discipline you when you need it, but not from a distance, not from far away, right from within us. Man, this promise that if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, right within us, that makes any comeback possible. That means that, that the honesty that we 
struggle with to admit when our greed has gotten us into debt or the confession we need the courage to share and unleash and unload so a relationship gets mended or the faith we need to make that next decision or to move in a certain direction or the trust in God's provision to grow in our generosity and impact or the guidance maybe you need to help grow uh, your marriage or the strength you need to face the future without a loved one, all that becomes possible as, as God's spirit indwells you when you put your trust in Christ. And all those are opportunities for comeback. All those are opportunities for comeback. Louis Gilio, the guy who went through that terrible deep depression for months, he says this, he says, no matter what we might be walking through, we can still have confidence that Jesus is the God of the comeback and that our story is not over as long as Jesus is in it. Our story is not over as long as Jesus is in it. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. The power that raised Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. It's not like I have this and, you know, I'm going to rub it and now something's going to happen and everything's just going to be perfect. That's not what it is. It isn't like... Jim Carrey and Bruce Almighty just answering everybody's prayer. <laughs> if you saw that movie. Yes, that kind of, oh, just everything made perfect. And we know how bad that went if you watch the movie. In other words, a comeback doesn't mean that everything's perfect on this side of eternity. A comeback doesn't mean that everything goes exactly as you had planned or exactly as you would wish it or exactly as you designed it on this side of eternity. But with God's power coupled with God's wisdom and timing, I believe every one of us Every one of us has hope for a comeback in some way. In some way, you can have a comeback. When you put your trust in Christ and recognize that God's very own spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. Now, I know, I know some skeptics might try to convince you or me that you can make, you know, you can make your life perfect on your own. And I get it. And I'm sure in this crowd, there's many of us who wrestle with that. Maybe I can just do this on my own. Maybe I can just make this happen. Let me just tell you something. Christianity has nothing to do with perfection on earth. Christianity has nothing to do with perfection on earth. There's hope, but there's nothing to do with just perfection on earth. In fact, one of the, one of the aspects of Christianity that, that an atheist, his name is Alan, uh, Alan de Button, Alain de Button, or I often call him Alan de Button. I kind of like that, that way of saying it, but... Uh, he wrote a book. He, find, he finds this aspect of Christianity actually appealing. He writes this book called Religion for Atheists. And, and he tries to help atheists kind of live with some of the good things of religion. And he writes a chapter in his book called Pessimism. And he comes to terms with this fact that, that Christianity actually deals with the fact that we will not find perfection in this world. And he gladly admits that, that there's this secular false optimism in our world. That if we can just make more money or have enough medical research or just get the right things and everything will be good. And he actually highlights this, this false sense of optimism that, that comes with secularism. And he writes this. He says, secular people gruffly dismiss a belief in angels while sincerely trusting that the combined powers of the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, the medical research establishment, Silicon Valley, and democratic politics will together cure the ills of mankind. So here's this... this uh, atheist philosopher who's trying to figure out there's something 
in our secular mindset, that is a false optimism that we think everything's just going to be perfect. We are going to make it happen. And he, he comes to terms with it and says, because of that false optimism, we often struggle to live a fulfilling life because we're looking for the wrong things. And he says, at least Christianity, even though he doesn't himself believe in eternity or in a God, he says, at least Christianity admits there will be troubles in this world and finds hope in something beyond it. In fact, Jesus said, clearly, you will have troubles in this world, but take heart, I've overcome it. There's something unique and beautiful and true about that. And here's why the resurrection is so hopeful, because it gives you and me hope in an eternal future that you or I cannot create on our own. And secondly, and I think more importantly for today, it gives me hope today because through Jesus, God's very own spirit, the same spirit, God's spirit, who raised Christ from the dead is available to me because God offers to live in me. God offers to live in me. Resurrection gives me hope. So I don't know what kind of comeback you're looking for. And whatever it is, it's not necessarily going to be the most perfect outcome, but I know that there's possibility because of the power of the resurrection. Next week, as we, we're going to continue this series a little bit and talk about some ideas around that and what that looks like in life. But I want to close with this thought and this, this sense of a, of a spiritual comeback because I know that many of us are longing for certain kinds of comebacks. But I believe every single one of us and everyone we lock eyes with needs a spiritual comeback. That their heart longs for it. And there's this one line in Romans 8, it says that he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. One translator says it's God bringing you alive to himself. Not just fixing your problems, but bringing you alive to himself. That God wants to resurrect you from the inside out. God wants to wake you up to a relationship with him. God wants to wake you up to his power and presence. And he doesn't just want to change your life, though he can bring change to your life as you trust him. But he wants to change you and me from the inside out. He wants to make us alive, alive to himself, alive to his reality, alive to the relationship with him that he's created for you. So when we believe in the risen Christ, comebacks are possible. But the one comeback that's promised for each and every one of us is a spiritual comeback. The scripture says we're dead without Christ. We're dead in our sins. We're dead in our rebellion against God, but we can be alive to him in this relationship. I'm going to ask the team to come up as we come to a close this morning. And I want you to just pause and think about this. So Jesus came back. And secondly, you can have a comeback. Isn't that amazing news? You can have a comeback. Now, maybe you say, how do I respond to this? How do I respond to this today? Well, one way you can respond to this is a simple way is you can just come back next week. If you're, if you're exploring, if you're searching, if you're wondering what comes next, how do I, what do I do? Uh, how do I understand what the scriptures say? Say, come back next week and we're going to actually continue unpacking this series called Come Back to help us go further. Three, two weeks from now, we're going to see some people get baptized and hear some stories of how God has worked in their lives. And, and that'll help us just see maybe how God works in one person's life particularly and another person's life particularly. So come back and explore and engage and seek and search. But one way I want to encourage you to, to respond today, 
and, and uh, someone who I consider a mentor from afar because I don't really know him personally, but I've heard him speak hundreds of times. And, and he, he, he talks about these two words, that our response needs a death and a declaration. A death and a declaration. Some of the more traditional way of saying that in the scriptures is when, when, um, when after Jesus rose from the grave and uh, his disciples were just figuring out what to do, 50 days later, they're gathered together in an upper apartment in Jerusalem and God's spirit just floods them with his presence. And in that moment, or after that moment, one of the disciples, Peter, who we even saw in the video and we read in scriptures how Peter, you know, denied Jesus and, and had a faint of heart, was doubting, God fills him with his spirit. And here's Peter who preaches the first sermon to hundreds of people, thousands of people. And as he proclaims who Jesus is, people ask Peter, what do I do? What do what, how do I respond to this? What's my next step? And Peter says, repent and believe, or repent and be baptized. In other words, a death is involved, is needed when we die to ourselves. Jesus said a parable about a seed that falls to the ground. That seed is awesome, but that seed, nothing happens. Falls to the ground, and as it falls to the ground and gets into the dirt, it slowly opens up and new life takes place. We all need a death. We all need to die to ourselves like that seed falls into the ground and then opens up and grows. And if, we, if we're longing for that kind of comeback, if we're longing for this spiritual comeback, if we're longing to know God in a personal way, then we need a death, a death to ourselves so we let God live. Paul, Paul said it this way, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and through me. That's what repentance is. It's dying to ourselves and saying, I was walking this way away from God in rebellion. I'm going to die to myself to this direction and I'm going to turn around. And see what God does in my life. But it also needs a declaration. Say, I believe in the risen Lord. I believe in the risen Savior. Why don't you stand with us as we think through this. And here's, encourage you to think, the, these two, think about these two words. Your, the sense of, am I going to die to myself? Repent. Die like a seed and allow Christ to grow in me. And then what about your declaration? Today you have this moment to say, I do believe in Jesus, the risen Lord. Scripture says to all who receive him, to all who call on his name, he gives them the wonderful right and access and welcome to become his children. walking through that type of decision this morning even a simple prayer saying Jesus I repent I turn away from a life that has been absent of you I have been Lord of my life for too long and I want that leadership position to die today and I invite you to lead my life. I trust you as not only the forgiver of my sin, but the leader of my life.
that's your prayer. Just express that to God. Just tell him, I want the leadership role of my life to die. I give you that role. I call you Lord. You can declare that. Jesus, I believe that you are the risen Lord and Savior and King. I welcome you to lead me. Thank you for welcoming me first. just for anybody here as we pray and close today if there is a part of your life that you are longing for a comeback and you desperately need the power of the risen Lord in your life in a deeper way a stronger way in the fullest way yeah let's close in prayer in this way just affirming the power of the resurrection but also our our own kind of death and declaration longing for Jesus to completely lead our lives Lord we say thank you thank you thank you that your son Jesus made a comeback thank you that we call him our risen Lord and Savior thank you for the power and purpose of the resurrection thank you for everything that it means and entails we say thank you that it happened and Lord we welcome your continual work in our lives and our hearts thank you that we can make a comeback as we trust in Christ and God for some people today whatever part of their lives that they are bringing to you in this moment whether it's financial or relational spiritual emotional whether it's their career or their home, whether it's their health, Lord, we, we grab a hold of your Spirit's power that raised Christ from the dead that you promise also lives in us. So we pray by your grace and by your Spirit, Lord, you would just infuse each and every one of us to move forward in this these different comebacks that you would entail for our lives. God, may we trust you when it doesn't look exactly as we think it should or designed as we think it should be designed or perfect as we would want it to see in this way. May we trust you even in that, Lord Jesus. God, we pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen.